rest of us will go to Acts chapter 4 this morning as we get into the Word together, hopefully, and see what the Lord has to offer us today with His Word and His Spirit uh, together. Last, Last week, got a little feedback going. Last week, uh, we talked about the healing of the lame beggar outside the temple that John and Peter were involved in and how uh, the Spirit of God enabled them to do that ministry for them. And and then they preached the gospel, if you remember. A great crowd was drawn, and they began to preach the gospel and say, this has all happened because of Jesus. Not because of us, but because of Jesus. And we made note of... uh, Verse 4 of chapter 4, where it says, Many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000 people. The number of men that that believed were 5,000. Together with the 2,000 at the end of chapter 2 that became believers, and of course uh, we know that these are recording the men who became believers, which we would assume that they have some family members with them, most people estimate somewhere around the 15,000 or so mark as far as how many people believed in these, this short time period between these two times that Peter, through the, whole, the Holy Spirit's power, presented the gospel message with authority, right? Uh, we're talking about Peter and John, uh, the two fellows, two of the 12 that Jesus picked out to follow him, who we all know were imperfect guys. They were imperfect people. They were not the greatest of the great. They were not the most educated of, of, of all. Uh, they were just fishermen, regular folks is what I call them, like me and you. We're all just regular folks, right? And uh, that's who they were. And here they are running around changing the world. Now, I wonder, as I'm reading through the book of Acts and preparing these messages for y'all, it makes me wonder if they realized, if they, in their wildest dreams, would they have ever imagined that they were going to be doing what they were doing as they were on their fishing vessels with their families, doing what they did every day, just go fishing so they can make a living and go through the motions of living life and doing what we can to take care of our loved ones and, and grow up and be old and have grandkids and, and so on. Most most other guys like them in those days are still fishing somewhere, living their life, not doing anything wrong. They're just, that's who they are. They're regular folk. But here's John and Peter. I want you to see today the consequences that they endured because of their obedience to Jesus and to the Holy Spirit. Right, because last week we focused on the miracle that happened with the lame man, and we focused on the results of the, the, the mighty sermon where many got saved, many came to believe, which is all fine and dandy to jump up and celebrate the Lord, but we have to look at the consequences of, of doing these things, these things, of the consequences of obedience to Christ, obedience to the, the, the command to make disciples, obedience to the Holy Spirit brings consequences. Let's look at slide. Uh, oh, here it is. I got it right here. 
So verses 1 through 4, let's just read those. It says, the priest of chapter 4 of Acts says, The priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. And it says, They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching uh, the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put him in jail until the next day. And that's where we read uh, verse 4 where it says, Many who heard the message believed, and a number of men grew to about 5,000 who were believers. So people are getting saved. The gospel is getting preached. Attention has been given. Right? And here we have these religious leaders the Pharisees, and especially the Sadducees, they're all led by the Sadducees because it was the Sadducees who didn't believe in the resurrection, so they have an immediate problem. They didn't believe in resurrection after death, period, let alone Jesus' resurrection. So there's an immediate problem for them on top of other problems for all of the religious leaders because here are these two uneducated, regular fellas standing in the temple teaching They're not to be doing that because they're not the teachers. They're not the Pharisees. They're not the leaders, the religious leaders. Only the religious leaders were to be teaching, right? And the Israelites, the people, were to follow their teaching. So how dare anyone else come in and begin to teach anything, let alone the resurrection of Jesus, the one that they crucified a little while earlier. We'll get to that in just a moment. It says they were greatly disturbed because all they did was say, here's what happened, here's a man who was healed from his disability, and here's why it happened. And these guys, these well-educated men, these smart guys, were greatly disturbed in their heart. They were upset. So look what happens in verse 5. The next day, after they threw him in jail, the next day... The rulers, elders, teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. And here goes the list of who they were. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the other men of the high priest's family. They were all there. Everybody everybody was there. Everybody that was, uh, anybody in the religious leadership was there. Verse 7 says that they had Peter and John brought before them, and they began to question them. So the trial begins. Similar to the way it happened with Jesus, except it was during the day and not during the night. It was a legal trial. Jesus' trial was not legal because they'd done it in the middle of the night, which was not legal. It was not the right way to do it. The way they would do have their trials is they would bring the accused or the, the person to be interrogated and put them in the center of the room and they would all surround that person or people. And they would just continue to hammer with their questions from all different directions. And they would stand there and have to answer for themselves. So that's what they're facing. All because, all because, they, they, by, the, by the power of the Holy Spirit, they went and in Jesus' name told the man to stand up who was lame and then said it was because of Jesus he was healed. They, they were led by the Spirit of God and now they, they find themselves on trial. And here comes the question. The question of the day, the question of the ages for the believer. You you, you know what the question is. You've read read the book of Acts. 
They said to them, by what power or what name did you do this? And I think the question had already been answered when they were preaching, right? Because when Peter was saying, hey, this guy's healed because the name of Jesus. And when he told the man to stand up, if you remember, he said, in Jesus' name of Jesus of Nazareth, stand up and come out here, come out and walk. So it's clear. So you you have to understand this question is a setup, isn't it? (laughs) That's the way they operate. That's what they did to Jesus. So why wouldn't they do it to Peter and John? Every question they asked Jesus was a setup. They're trying to get him to incriminate himself. They're trying to get Peter and John to say something that would allow them to remove them from society and do away with them. Because the message that they were preaching was a threat to who they are. So, they're interrogated. It's the... It, 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 was, it was the trick question of the, of, the, of, the, of the ages. And here's Peter and John's response in verses 8 through 12. Let's start with 8. It says, Then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. Notice he's filled with the Holy Spirit. Once again, they're making sure that we know that. Here's what he said. Rulers and elders of the people! Exclamation point in my version. It's not... You know, a lot of people, when they go to court, they're, they're on trial for something or they have to go to court because of some disagreement between them and somebody else. It's a very intimidating thing for them, and, and they begin to speak in, in a way that doesn't exude, exert, it doesn't show any confidence in what they're saying just because they're intimidated by the court, just because it's court. And these guys, they ask the question, by what name? And he's like, oh, that's what you want to know? <laughs> Rulers and elders of the people. Like he's getting ready to go off with some presidential speech or something. He's making sure he's got everybody's attention once again. Look what he says in verse 9. If we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked uh, uh, how he was healed, right? he's, He's saying this because he's pointing out to these religious leaders Oh, if, we're, if you're questioning us as to why we did a good thing to somebody you've walked past for the last 40 years and did nothing, then let's talk about that. <laughs> He's pretty much putting them on trial and that, just by saying that. He's like, oh, you're talking about the guy that you walked by and didn't do anything to help. You didn't do anything to try to help him. You didn't, you, you're supposed to be men of God, and you didn't bring him to God. That's the guy. That's what you want to know about? Okay, he says, then know this in verse 10. You, all the, you and all the people of Israel, not just you guys, everybody listen up. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. That's, that's whose name we did this. Didn't even shrink back, didn't stutter, didn't hesitate. Matter of fact, he, he, the only reason he waited any, any length to answer the question was to make sure that he had everybody's attention. And as disciple-makers or preachers of the gospel, witnesses of the, the truth in God's word in this world, we, we have to endeavor to get people's attention. So they might hear the message. So he's like, it's, it's Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, it says, whom you crucified, but God raised from the dead. That this man stands before you healed. 
He didn't just answer the question. He made sure they understood exactly who he was talking about when it came. Oh, you want to know the answer? You want to know by what name? Let me make it clear. Let me, let, me, let me make sure that you understand. He didn't just say Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He said the one you crucified. It's one thing to stand out in the temple courts and preach the gospel and say to the, all the Israelites that were in the temple in that moment and say, all of y'all are guilty of crucifying this man Jesus who is the Christ. He, he went to the cross because you're the one that said crucify him, crucify him. It's your sins. It's my sin. It's all of our sins that put him on the cross. We're all guilty. So now he's standing before the most important men of all of Israel who have all the authority, supposed to be men of God. And he points a finger right in their face and says, you guys, the one you guys killed. Do you think that in the moment, even though he's led by the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, and words are coming out of him uh, that are given to him by the Spirit of God, the power that comes with this message, this answer, don't you think that in their mind they're thinking to themselves, okay, this is it. This is going to be the end of my life right here. Because there's consequences for saying certain things to certain people in this world. Still is today. But they just stood up there and said, hey, everybody listen up. Everybody listen up. It was Jesus of Nazareth who did this. That's whose name we stand here before you in. That's, who, that's what power we live in, we walk here in, that we do what we do and say what we say. He goes on with his message. It's his little mini-sermon here in the middle of, of the court here, the, the religious court. He says, he's the, he's the stone you builders rejected, which has become a capstone, reminding them of uh, Psalm 118, which they all know and, and, and have memorized. And would teach other people about David's words. And he's assigning that to them. He's assigning that truth in Psalm 118 to them. You, you guys are the ones that rejected Jesus. And then he goes in, he goes in for, the, for the big idea of the sermon. He, he goes in and he says, look, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. That was a build-up, right? It was a build-up to his sermon there. It's a, three, it's a great three-point sermon, don't you think? I think it is. Point number one, by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. That's, how I, that's the power. That's the name. Point number two, oh, he's, by the way, he's the one you crucified, right? He's the, you're the one that put him on the cross and, 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 and called for his death. And then point number three, he's, it's the one that God raised from the dead. Now, you want to talk about getting in trouble with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. You start talking about resurrection of the dead. You start talking about the Messiah and assigning a human being to the Messiahship. As if they don't know that. See, they're the ones that are supposed to know. They're the ones that are supposed to teach other people about the ways of God and the word of God, the law of God, and the coming Messiah. And, and, and in their minds, they're saying, the Messiah would not come here unless we knew about it. So how are you going to stand here and say, talk about salvation? Right? 
There's no, there's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. There's nobody else. Not Caiaphas. Not Annas. Alexander, John, none of them, none of them guys that were listed off earlier. He was saying to the, he was saying to the to the religious leaders, you guys are not here to save anybody. You guys are not leading anybody to God. Only Jesus does that. He could have just walked away. He could have just left it at Jesus. You know, he could have been asked the question, by what name, by what power, and he could have just said, oh, uh, Jesus Christ, it was Jesus. And then left it at that. But no, he went into this sermon. He made sure that it was clear, and it was by the power and the guidance of the Holy Spirit that he did so. It gets better, <laughs> right? Because he, after he closes his sermon in verse 12, he goes on into verse 13, and we read this. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, it says they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. I have a question for all of us. Uh, if people are exposed to our witness, whether it's as a congregation or as an individual believer, are they ever astonished by what they see or hear from you? or what the Lord is doing in your life, or the Spirit of God is doing in you? You don't have to answer that out loud, because you may not even know the answer to that question. I wonder if that's true or not in our lives, in our church, around the world, other believers. Because that's how people come in contact with the gospel. That's how people genuinely meet Jesus, because they're exposed to the witness, and they're astonished by what they encounter. The truth. The reality, the facts about Jesus and who he is and what he's done and what it means for all of us. Here's, why, here's one thing, why, here's one reason why these guys were astonished by Peter and John. It says they were unschooled, ordinary men. I, I think, it, I, I'm not 100% sure, but I think the Greek word that's used is the same word that uh, is for uh, an idiot, basically, that we would translate into idiot when it's talking about unschooled, right? I could be wrong about that, but it's somewhere in that ballpark. That's the kind of word that's used here. I'm just a regular fella, y'all. Y'all know that. Y'all know that. I, I'm, I mean, I'm, a, I'm just a hammer-swinging truck driver that God called to preach. There ain't nothing special about me. There ain't nothing special about any of y'all except for the fact that Jesus loves you enough to give his life for you, and that makes you special whether you deserve it or not. And that's why people should be astonished when they encounter you and see your witness for Christ. When the Spirit of God uses you as a witness, you as a proclaimer of the gospel, people should be affected by that. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, do people take note that we've been with Jesus or not? When people encounter you or meet you or spend time with you or see anything about your witness, do they notice that you're one of those people who spend time with Jesus? Right? Because I really believe that at least all of you and many other believers that I know personally, 
really genuinely want to serve God and make disciples, want people to be saved. I think that's what we all would like to see happen on a regular basis. Sometimes we sit back and say, is it, am I doing it right or am I involved in it? Is it happening? Is my witness effective? How can this happen? How can I make it better? How can I do better? I would suggest get with Jesus. If you get with Jesus in a genuine way on a regular basis, people are going to notice. <laughs> by the way you talk about him. By the way you talk with him. By the way you live your life. These guys were confident. It says they noticed the courage of Peter and John. They noticed that Peter and John weren't afraid of them like everybody else in the world because they had so much authority in the world, so much, so much uh, uh, power that they could change the lives of people in just a thought if they wanted to. And so everybody was afraid. Everybody was intimidated. Everybody was uncertain or at least a little bit, I guess, reverent might be the word in their presence. But Peter and John, now, nah. they were like, hey, what are we doing here? Oh, you want to know that? Okay, let's talk about that. It was like they were just talking to anybody else on the street. They didn't re revere them as anybody important more than anybody else. So they just said, hey, this is who we know. And this is the truth about him. And they were astonished that they weren't afraid of him. And they were like, oh, these guys have been with Jesus. We know about this Jesus guy. But verse 14 says this. Since they could see, uh, could, could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. Now you see why there's confidence in Peter and John. How many of y'all love facts? Truth. Hello? That's a question. <laughs> None of y'all are raising your hand. How many people love the truth and want facts? They want, I want to know what's real and what's not real. Right here, verse 14. I want y'all to check this out. Where am I at? Okay, verse, he says, since they, could not see, since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. This is the moment of impact, what I call the moment of impact for these religious leaders. It was a head-on collision with reality, truth, and facts. They could not deny what they were seeing. They couldn't spin it. They couldn't make it something else. They knew that this was what it was. You ever been around people that just cannot handle facts? And it, I mean, you could... You could you could tell them the sky is blue on a clear blue day and they'll argue with you all day. It seems like we might be living in a world that's being contaminated by that kind of an approach. We don't need to care about facts. Let's just make up our own truth. Let's just make things the way we want them to be. Doesn't matter what's obvious. Doesn't matter what the reality is. Doesn't matter what the facts say about anything. Because we don't want it to be true. You see, this is nothing new, y'all. Here are these smart, intelligent, highly educated, biblically knowledgeable men, of supposedly of God, were standing right in the face of truth, and they couldn't handle it. Here's what happened, verse 15. So they ordered 
they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and uh, conferred together. You, you know, you know there's a problem when they ha- we have to call a meeting. Because I hold a hug. Time out, time out. We're going to have a meeting. Go stand in the hallway. Because they don't know what to do. They're like, ah, uh, let me see here. So we get in a meeting. We get in the meeting, right? Verse 16 says, what are we going to do with these men? <laughs> That's the question. What are we going to do? It, I think they were trying to figure out how can we spin this? How can we get out of this? How can we preserve our strength, our power, our authority, our integrity? How do we deal with this? And, and they even said, look, everybody living, everybody living in Jerusalem knows they have done an outstanding miracle, and we can't even deny it. They're admitting to themselves that the facts are indeed true. You guys, I've told you guys in the past what a yabbit is. Haven't I? A yabbit is, my wife knows what it is. A yabbit, I taught this to my son when he was uh, fifth grade maybe. I said, we don't do yabbits in our house. Because when you ask me something and the authority as your father says no, then your answer is yeah, but. Which tells me that you agree with this authority, but you don't want to receive it. So that's a yabbit. There's no yabbits. You don't read the word of God or you don't stand in the facts of Jesus and say, yeah, but. There's a lot of people in this world living that way. There's a lot of people in this world since, since this time that we're reading about that have been living that way. We, we know that Jesus is the Christ. We know that, that Jesus is the Son of God. We celebrate Christmas, but I don't want to live that way. I don't want it to affect my life like that. I don't want to give up the authority that I think I have over my life. That's where these guys are. They should have, they should have been able to, if they were men who knew God's law that Moses shared and that they had memorized and were teaching others, if they knew that and trusted that, they would have accepted him as Savior. They would, and not only that, if they were still struggling, they should have seen this miracle. There's a man standing there that hadn't been walking in it for his whole life of over 40 years. And he's standing right there. You can't deny what happened. So they're having a meeting on trying to figure out, okay, how do we deny this? How do we get rid of this? So here's their answer in verse 17. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men to what? Speak no longer to anyone in this name. We can't deny that it's not. We, we, we know it's true. We see that it's true. It's obvious that it's true. The man's standing there. We can't explain any other reason why that would happen if it wasn't for the, uh, what, what was going on in Jesus' name. But we don't like it, so knock it off. That's, today, it looks like this. We don't care if you believe in Jesus, and we don't care if you're a Christian and want to go to church. Just don't talk about it. Don't share it with us. Keep it away from the office. Keep it out of my neighbor's house. That's what it looks like today. You can't, you can't, te- you can't, you can't have a prayer in your school. You can't, you can't say in Jesus' name anywhere. Football, play- football coaches are going to Supreme Court over this stuff. It's 
it's, it's so bad, y'all. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. It's so bad that now the common knowledge in society is that the Christian not only is just another religion, but we are now indeed the enemy of society. We are the problem. And it's becoming more and more aggressive, more and more plain, and more and more dismissive of the Christian faith in our world, in this world, in this age, because they're trying to figure out what to do with the facts about Jesus. So they're saying, look, the only thing we, only thing we can do is just prevent you from talking about it to anybody. We'll shun you from the community if you do. If you, if you decide you're going to be a Christian and you want to tell everybody about it or you want to say things in the name of Jesus, then we will come down on you like a brood of vipers in a bullying type of way until you shut it down. That's the world we live in. It's going to get worse. So they say, don't, don't talk about this to nobody. So, verse 18, that was their decision. Here it comes. Verse 18, they, then they called them in, in again and commanded them not to speak or teach in all of the name of Jesus, at all in the name of Jesus. Now, imagine this. Here's two men filled with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, God's Holy Spirit, that comes with all of his authority and power and holiness, and these men are going to stand before them and try to command them with all of their earthly authority. That's like your five-year-old coming to you and telling you what you're, that you're going to clean your room. Hello? <laughs> and you're like, excuse me? <laughs> Checking the doors like, do I live here? Right? You know, how many children are growing up today that are in charge of their home? Don't answer that out loud. You know what I'm talking about. It's out of control, y'all. And it's not the children's fault. Society, we're losing our minds because we're trying to dismiss the one thing that the book of Colossians teaches us holds all things together, which is Christ, Jesus. So here's the, he says, they called him in again, commanded him, hey, look, you guys do not speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Verse 19, here's their reply. Peter and John replied, this is awesome, y'all. Here's what they said. Judge for yourself whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. Now, let me talk about that one first. These, these religious leaders were supposed to be so knowledgeable about God's word, the law, and the ways of God that they wrote all of these other books on how to help you keep God's law, and that if anybody came along and tried to tell them something other than that, they would say to them, uh, we're, we're not going to listen to you, we're going to listen to God. That's what they would say. We're followers of God, we suggest you fall in line with that. So, he, so Peter and John say to them, hey, judge for yourself, you decide. You decide if it's right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. Because they would have to agree with that. They're teachers of the law. It's all about obeying God, isn't it? 
That's what they were all about. We're teaching you. We're going to help you obey God because we don't think you can do it. And we can because we're, we're the leadership. We're, we're the ones. We're the high priest. Then he says, on top of that, in verse 20, he says, For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. I don't know. If, you, I don't, if, if you're connected with Jesus at all and you have any kind of desire in your heart to share the gospel with anybody ever in your life, you have come to this conclusion, oh, I wish I could share the gospel like Peter and John and some of them other folks. I wish I was bold enough. I wish I was able to just go out and just do what God needs me to do. Isn't that what we all desire? Isn't that what we all want to do? We all want to be able to say to ourselves, if that ever happened to me, I would be firm and stand firm and be bold. I wouldn't shrink back. But really what Peter and John are saying is like, hey, we can't help talking about Jesus. We can't help it. I can't ignore it. And, and, and I, don't even really, I don't really believe it was a decision on their part. They're filled with the Holy Spirit, y'all. They're led by the Spirit of God. They're given words by the Spirit of God. The truth is welling up inside of them by what they saw and what they were taught by Jesus. And the Spirit of God is just moving all of that around between their heart and their mind, and then words come out. They didn't decide that. They were just saying, hey, we can't stop talking about Jesus. We're obedient to the Holy Spirit. Ain't going to be able to do it. Sorry. <laughs> now, that's easy for us to sit here and think in our minds. There's nobody holding a gun to our head. There's nobody threatening to throw us in prison. There's nobody threatening to take our life in this moment. So we could all stand up and say, amen. I believe that's 100% true. I can't stop talking about Jesus. Don't want to and won't never do it. But the reality is, is most of us, if not any of us, have ever been in that situation. And we really don't know, do we? Until the heat gets turned up. I suspect that many of us, if not all of us, from time to time have already failed that test in small ways. Sometimes because in our own mind we create a scenario that there's, we're worried about the opinion of someone if we say something about God. If we say anything about Jesus or if we talk about our faith. If we bring it up amongst people who aren't believers kind of shrink back a little bit because we're afraid of the consequences maybe they won't be friends with me maybe they won't like me maybe they'll say something bad to me or have a bad reaction or maybe they'll be offended well let me let me let me make this crystal clear if you're a witness for christ and the spirit of god is working in your life people are going to be offended it's a guarantee the truth offends people. I'm offended by the truth. I am. In many different ways. I was offended by the truth when I got saved. The gospel told me that I'm a sinner and that I offended God. I didn't want to hear that. I didn't want it to be true. The gospel also told me that there's a way out. If I would just receive that truth and submit to that truth that I could be forgiven by the power of Jesus in his holy name. I'm also offended by the fact that I got to lose some weight. 
You see what I'm saying? I'm offended by the facts, y'all. <laughs> I don't want to do that. I don't want to. I don't want to have to do that. I don't want it to be true. Truth is what it is. You can't change it. Facts are what they are. You can't change them. So we have, we have to deal with it. And if we're led by the Spirit and filled by the Spirit, just like these guys, and have the same guidance, the same promises from, from Jesus that he said he wouldn't leave us alone, then we too can go out into the world. And we too can say, I can't stop talking about Jesus. I don't want to stop talking about Jesus. I'm going to keep talking about Jesus. I'm going to keep living for Jesus. I'm going to keep following the Spirit of God because I'm judging whether it is right for me to obey God rather than society. That's the decision that we all have to make. Okay, verse 21 says, after further threats, they let him go. All right, y'all can go. <laughs> we threaten you some more so we can feel powerful, and then we'll let you go. It says they could not decide how to punish them, right? They could not decide how to punish them. Now, you think it's because they weren't like, they were like rookies at being <laughs> religious leaders? No, they knew how to punish people. <laughs> they knew what to do. But they were having a problem because of what we read next. They couldn't decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man was miraculously healed, was over 40 years old. They couldn't decide how to punish them because of the facts, because of the truth. And all the people that were there, which were many, over 5,000, right, were praising God for what had happened. They were giving credit to God. They were saying, look what God has done. Isn't this awesome what God has done? It's not just Peter and John anymore. It's the whole crowd. So these mighty men of God are standing there going, hmm, if we punish these guys, and all these people think that they've done something for God, that's going to make us look bad. That's going to put us as the enemy. So we're just going to quietly threaten you all to shut it down, and we'll let you go, because they too were looking at the man who was healed and couldn't deny Jesus. They couldn't deny the facts. They couldn't deny that it was all God. Which means they ultimately couldn't deny that they were the ones who hung him on the cross. They couldn't deny it was the same Jesus or not. They couldn't say it was some other Jesus. He's not the Messiah. It, was all, it either has to all be true or it has to all be false because it's all the same fact. You can't hide from Jesus, y'all. You understand what I'm trying to get? I'm, I'm saying if we're going to go out and make disciples, there's no reason to be intimidated by it. There's no reason to be uncertain about the power of the gospel and the presence of God and the power of your witness if you're filled with the Spirit of God. Just go out and be bold and say, hey, this is who I know. This is the, the gospel. This is Jesus. This is how I experience him in my life, and my life has changed. When you watch the astonishment... There's going to be people in your life, and I'm going to shut it down. There's going to be people in your life. They're either going to be the crowd, and they're going to be praising God for the things that they see in your witness, and they're going to be exposed to Jesus in a real way, and they're going to come to Christ, and they're going to get saved, or they're going to have a head-on collision with truth, and they're going to be just like these Pharisees and Sadducees. 
And they're going to do everything in the world to, di- to dismiss the truth from their life. And the only way that they feel like they can get that done is if they shut you down. Not realizing that they're fighting against the God of all creation. The Holy One. They're fighting against the kingdom of God. There's no chance for them to win. There's no chance there at all. They're wrestling with God. Here's, here's the bottom line. We teach, this, we teach this chapter many times and we focus on being mighty disciple makers and great preachers of the gospel filled with the Holy Spirit and the power of God is with us and we can go conquer the world for Christ. And I think that's an appropriate way to look at it. But I think also if we're, we're going to make a mistake, if we don't realize that God expects us to be like the lame man first. Who was healed. That's who we are, y'all. That's who I am. Remember last week? I described how pathetic my life was when I was in charge of it and what a train wreck it turned out to be. And I didn't even realize how badly the train wreck was. I didn't even know it was a train wreck until the Lord showed it to me. I was a beggar and a, and a spiritually crippled man. Until I met Jesus. Same is true for you. We're all the lame man. You're going to make disciples. You're going to be a disciple maker. God wants you to just go out there and stand in the courts. As a healed person. Stand there and be a fact. (laughs) There ain't nobody going to tell me. That what's happened to me in my life. Is wrong. Or is not true. Because I know who I was and I know who I am now and I know why. And that's a fact. Same is true for every one of y'all that are saved. That's who we are. We go out into the world and we just stand there and be the healed lame man who's showing that the Pharisees that they're wrong about what they're thinking. It's like they were looking at the lame. They're like, well, he's standing there and he was laying over there. Now he's over here. We can't deny the truth anymore because of that. And if you want people to be astonished by your witness, you, get, you just got to stand there and be a fact in your witness. The fact is, we're saved by the blood of Christ. The fact is, we were sinners bound for hell. And because of Jesus and his shed blood on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection, it was his physical resurrection. He came back to life, lived in this world a little bit longer, and then went on to be with the Lord and sent the Holy Spirit, and now we've got the church going. Those are the facts, and I'm part of it. We're all living, breathing witnesses for the gospel. And if we do that, if we be, become the lame man, and we just stand there as a fact that's part of the gospel of Jesus Christ, evidence of who he is, then we get opportunities to do what Peter and John did. Then we can have an opportunity to say, okay, y'all want to know what this is about? Listen up. Everybody listen. I'll tell everybody. It's because of Jesus. It's because of what I find in that Bible. Trust me. If we're living this way, if we're living in the Spirit of God, we're living as people who are saved by grace, and we were broken, and now we're being made whole, if we live that way, People will come to you and ask you why. What is going on? 
How do you live this way? Why do you believe what you believe? How is it that you can get through these things and you don't seem to be too bothered like we are? What's going? We want to know. And then you can step up like Peter and John said, hey, well, it was, it's Jesus of Nazareth that did all this. You know the one we all hung on the cross? That, that guy. It's Jesus of Nazareth that makes me the man I am today or the, wom- the woman, the, the child of God I, we are today. By no other name can this happen to anybody. If you want what I got, you got to come to Jesus. Yeah? And then stand confidently in the power and the security of the Holy Spirit Come what may. Because either, either they're going to run to Jesus in that moment or they're going to do everything they can do to shut you down and put you out and erase you from their path because they can't deal with the facts. Make sense? So it's really not about Peter and John being bold preachers of the gospel filled with the Holy Spirit, is it? It is, but it isn't really, is it? It's about all the believers from then to now and on into eternity until Jesus comes back, standing before the world as the healed lame man. That's what it's about. He says, go out and be the witness. Go out into the world and tell people about Jesus. The only way I know to tell people about Jesus is telling what I know what I've experienced. I can't give your testimony. You're the only one that can do that. I give my testimony. And as a congregation, we can go out into the community and give our testimony. If we, if we can do that, well, let's go do that. But I can't preach. I can't preach your sermon. Even though my sermon and your sermon end with Jesus <laughs> being the Savior, right? But it's a different sermon. It's a different message. The only, pe- the only way people are going to listen to you talk about the Bible or talk about Jesus is if they see the results of him in your life. That's how they get astonished. Then you can say bold things, right? And, and there's no sense in trying to be like Peter and John and say the great things that Peter and John would say unless the Spirit of God brings that to your heart and your mind because you're, nobody's going to make the Bible anymore. It's done. It's, you're not going to get your name written down. Of, oh, so-and-so said this and it was great. No, we're serving God. We're giving God the glory. You can stumble all the way through your witness. And you may go home thinking, man, I didn't know what I was talking about. I don't know how to witness to people. And I can promise you that if the Spirit of God is working, people will still be astonished. Because if this old boy can stand up here and preach any kind of message to anybody in this world, y'all can witness to, 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 to the world for Christ. Because I ain't nobody special. Just a regular fellow. Right? Just like y'all. I love you and the Lord loves you. You got a decision to make. If you're not saved, now's the time to do it. There ain't no point in waiting. You may not have time. Time is short. Life is short. Today's the day to make a decision. Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins so that the Spirit of God can come into your life and your testimony will begin.